Well, hello there. We are here for the second pot. Um, I clearly need to be more caffeinated. I am Caleb Spiker, and I am here with... Serena Wolf. Who is plenty caffeinated. Yes, sir. Um, But we are going to be talking about the kingdom of God today and having all sorts of fun excursions around that. So anything else that people should know before we get started? We're not going to have too many fun excursions around that because we're working on shortening this podcast. That'll make at least one person happy. Maybe even two. All right, let's do this. Feeling kind of sleepy, really in alerts. It's reminiscent of all the times that I fell asleep in church. History. So I was out of town this weekend. We yeah. were yeah. at a family reunion in Pennsylvania. You were out the weekend before, too. At, We've missed you. Yeah, I've missed being here. Um, and I was able to kind of hide in a bathroom and watch church, <laughs> um, which is... Odd, but okay, cool. I mean, you know, it's the only place of solitary peace and tranquility. Um, That's true. When you have children. It's true. And I'm told that if you're a mom, not even the bathroom is a place of quiet and tranquility. No, but at least they don't usually open the door because it's locked and that's reasonable. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I was, uh, you know, watching church and and I got to say, I am, uh, I am impressed. On the 4th of July, you went full... Uh, this place that we live is not the kingdom. I mean, you burnt the flag on the 4th of July. I'm just, no, I'm I'm kidding. She didn't 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 burn the flag flag. because, you know, we like America. We like living here. This is like, if we wanted to live somewhere else, we would, but this is, this is where we live. It's, it's, it's all right. It's, it is, uh, it's still Babylon. But it is probably the best Babylon the world's ever produced, at least the Babylon I want to live in the most. So, Yeah, you know, um, I think that's, that's the, the thing, right? Like, um, I love America. It, it, there isn't another country I'd rather live in. Um, I mean, this is, this is the only country I know. I like it. Uh, it's not perfect. We have lots of things we need to fix, but I I like being an American overall. Um, and so, yeah, talking about the kingdom of God on July 4th um, was fun, somewhat, a little nerve-wracking, because the truth is that as much as I um, appreciate my country... Um, my native home and my first identity is Christian. And when July 4th falls on a Sunday, as a pastor, uh, you may feel a little conflicted. Because first, our hymnal, and this makes no sense to me, has patriotic hymns in it. Hmm. I don't like this. I don't like it. I don't, I don't, Want to sing the Battle Hymn of the Republic, although oh, I know that that... Oh, come on. No. Battle Hymn of the Republic's a pretty good song. It's, it's actually probably one of the best, quote-unquote, patriotic hymns. 
Because, I mean, the Navy hymn is great. Yeah, because they don't actually focus on America per se, mm. but they carry that baggage with them, right? Like when you sing the Battle Hymn of the Republic, the Republic's in the name, and at least in my head, the flags are waving and the parade is going. Um, but I know, you know, some churches will sing God Bless America, America the Beautiful, um, but I find that not appropriate for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning when we are gathered as the people of God here to worship God. Um, I am of the opinion that when you walk through the doors of the sanctuary, you don't leave behind your citizenship, but your citizenship in earthly nations is secondary to your citizenship in the kingdom of God. Well, churches are, are embassies, right? Like, like in a very real sense, when we approach the, the sanctuary, like when we are in the sanctuary together, we are no longer, I mean, we're in the United States, but like, it's not like we are in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a way that's different than when we walk outside the doors, I think. I think that's an appropriate um, ecclesiology and an appropriate understanding of our physical location of worship. So, yeah, there were no flag burnings. I think I, think I said something about, um, you know, kind of the, the dilemma that I had, right? I think mm. during the second movement of the, of the sermon. Um, because I'm thankful, but also with that thankfulness is some grieving. Hmm. So first off, like I think one of the great things about our country is that we understand that we have rights. Now, let's be clear, we haven't been clear about those rights and who they are extended to, right? Like, you know, initially those rights were free men usually white men of British descent. Um, or German. Or German, or yes. Or Dutch. Yes, but then as, like, as the Irish came over, you know, like initially not really the Irish until they, you know, were kind of folded in, and the same way with Italians, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of the, the brilliance of the American experiment. Like... in a way that is unique on the global scale, we see a bunch of different cultures intermarrying and becoming okay with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are, there are some additional hurdles that lead to some of the cultural conflicts we have now. But I almost wonder if, you know, the the true solution to the cultural conflicts we have now is just more intermarrying. Maybe. I think it would go a long way at least. Maybe. But, um, yeah, so, so written into our um, Bill of Rights, our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, is this idea that we have, we are born with rights that are not given to us by the government, but that are recognized by our government. 
and I, and I appreciate that. Now we've had to, you know, women and people of color, um, oh, female people of color, right? Like have had to step up and say, so those rights are all of ours and we need equality too. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful, I, but I'm also sad because these rights that we have, I think we abuse. Hmm. Um, it's hard for me to stand up in a congregation and say how thankful I am for our rights when I know that, you know, a good quarter of us aren't here because we're exercising our rights to do something else, you know? Um, that sounds harsh, but... Uh, we use our freedom selfishly. Hmm. Um, so, so while I am thankful that the government recognizes some of our basic rights, although not perfectly, uh, I am sad that we do not embrace those rights and use them to draw closer to God and closer to one another and join together for worship on Sunday mornings. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question, this idea of um, the rights that are recognized in the Constitution are not rights created by and distributed by the government, but they are you know, rights that you just possess by virtue of being human. Like, they aren't rights for citizens, they're rights for humans. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it, it gets to an interesting sort of question of what, like, what is the proper narrative of the United States? Um, so, we can half go as in Gettysburg. And it's interesting how the Civil War kind of exposed two competing narratives for what is America. Mm -hmm. So you have Lincoln's America that says we have these inalienable rights given to us by our creator, which generation by generation, we get a little bit better at, at equally ensuring for everyone. Like this is... This is the American um, trajectory that you know the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. That that generation by generation, we do a little better at living into that dream. That these rights that are given by God to everyone are secured for everyone. And this is Lincoln's America, whereas Lee's America talks more about what is being lost generation by generation as privileges that were beyond the, um, the rights that were endowed by the creator had been extended unfairly. Um, and I mean, these, these had kind of been the two dominant narratives and, you know, they have overlap, right? Like, mm -hmm. like there are um, legitimate government infringes upon our rights that we've seen, you know, in our lifetimes that are problematic, um, that move beyond, you know, just the government reigning in privileges that were unfairly distributed, but, you know, actually infringing upon rights. Yeah. Um, 
but I mean, these, these are the two, the two sort of narratives for most of American history, I would argue. Um, the one saying that, that we have this ideal that we are learning how to live into generation by generation and things are getting progressively better generation by generation. And the other that says, um, if we only get back to the good old days, mm-hmm. <laughs> because we're losing, we're losing things we shouldn't lose. Um, and I think here more recently, we've seen sort of a third narrative of America crop up um, that says, well, actually, by 1776, America had already been here for 150 years because the whole thing is built on the back of slaves. and um, Which there is enough truth there mm-hmm. to pay attention to it. Um, but... Whereas I think the Lincoln narrative already acknowledges this, um, the sort of D'Angelo narrative, Kendi narrative, you know, Nicole, uh, what's um, the sixteen nineteen project lady? What's her name? Yeah, I can't think of her last name off the anyway, top of my head. Um, you know, it says, no, 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 no. This this ideal was never something America was working towards. It was always, like, America has always been about enslaving and the brutality against black bodies. Um, and I, I would say that all three have something to bring to a conversation and to an understanding of our history. Um, like, we shouldn't be naive, right? Like, the American ideal... Um, we, we've never fully realized and maybe we've leaned upon that ideal a little too much so that we've allowed it to blind us to some of the more problematic parts of our history. Um, but it's a good ideal to hold. I think it's an ideal that's worth, it's, it's an idea worth pursuing. Well, and I think it bears out it, it bears out historical truth, right? Like this, this idea that we aren't making progress just isn't borne out by the facts. Yeah. I mean, like the, it, it's certainly not finished by any means. I mean, I wouldn't even say that like the rate of progress has been consistent enough that we should be like satisfied with it. Right. But the idea that like, that we don't live in a more equitable society in 2020 than we did in 1960, than we did in 1920, than we did in 1880, than we did in 1840. Like, give me a break. Yeah. Like, it, clearly, we are experiencing progress as a, as a society. Um, and we're also experiencing some, you know, uh, some degression in ways without a doubt, but, but this idea that from a, um, from a human equity standpoint, things are worse now than they've ever been. It's like, that's, that, that sounds like a, uh, that sounds like something a Generation Z person would say who thinks that the world started when they were born in 2007. Frankly. Yeah. Now I sound like an old man. You do. You sound like a millennial. 
I do. They're very close to boomers. No offense. We are. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I sit back and watch the discourse in our society, and I think that what we're really seeing on right and left is... Um, I, and I, I don't know that the people who are speaking these things believe this, but it sounds to me like hyperbole. Like there's an increasing alarmism on the right and an increasing alarmism on the left, and the ideas are becoming more extreme. Um, and I think some of that is, it, it's it's a terrible self-feeding cycle, right? Oh, like, sure. Um, well, I mean, you want to fit in. Yeah. Right? Like, it's a lot easier to fit in if you're not reflective. Yeah. But here, so here's um, here's the thing for me, uh, living as a Christian in America. It's really easy to get tied up in those things. Um, I think that equal rights, that equal civil rights are critical for our nation. I think that access to voting booths is is an imperative. I think public education uh, is an imperative. I know you just rolled your eyes at me, but you let me you let me believe what I believe there, millennial. I, I will. You can you can be one of your 157 million ballots cast and yep. you know believe that. Hey. It makes a difference when congressional offices don't have any turnover, even when elections uh, yeah. change the power structure, theoretically. But, but Why? Because the people oh who goodness. write legislation, the same people who have been writing legislation since before I was born, because Congress people don't staff their offices, the wealthiest people in their district staff their offices. So yeah. go ahead. Like, believe that voting is going to change things. Voting is the opiate of the masses. You sound like a Marxist. Okay. Okay. Anyway, I mean, I, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm 33 years old. That's that's a badge of honor for, you know. Oh my goodness. Okay. So as a Christian living in America, right? Like I care about certain things, um, and there are things that I think that are important to our society. What I have to watch is that those things do not become central to my life. Now, maybe someone might listen to this and say, well, that's easy for you because you are privileged. And perhaps that's true. However, um, my primary privilege comes from being a child of God. And as a child of God and a disciple of Christ, I am not beholden to my primary concern being about this country. My primary concern uh, can be for my family, for my church, and for my neighbors. Um, there is responsibility along with that, I think, like we saw in the civil rights movement, you know, for the church to stand up and say, you can't discriminate against an entire group of people. This is not okay, right? Like, that is loving our neighbors. Um, but my first allegiance is not ever going to be to this country. I don't, I don't say the Pledge of Allegiance when it's recited publicly. I don't put my hand over my heart because, to me, allegiance 
is uh, kind of an all or nothing thing. And I won't pledge allegiance to a flag or to a nation because this nation is not actually my native home. So um, I won't burn a flag, but I'm not going to pledge allegiance to it either, if that makes sense. Well, it's interesting, this idea of, you know, is... Is the white Christian's capacity to um, live with a certain degree of indifference towards the, you know, governing structures of your region, is that a question of privilege? Maybe. But I think we also have a long history of Christians who had no privilege, mm-hmm. who still live this way. I mean, mm-hmm. you read Athanasius, and he talks about you know the martyrs going into the you know Colosseum with smiles on their faces because they knew they knew that death was a dethroned tyrant. They jeered at death. There's no f- fear of it. Um, you know, you read, oh, Felicity and Perpetua. Perpetua you know, mm-hmm. like Christians have a long history of recognizing that what the government does is not the kingdom. Right. Um, that we can live in uh, morally upright societies. We can live in completely hedonistic societies. And our responsibility is not to try and coercively change our society through the structures of government. It's to live as a Christian in the midst of wherever we are. Um, Whether we are in a Babylon that looks like Branson, Missouri, or Las Vegas, Nevada, or Corinth, or Nineveh, or, you know, Grove City, Ohio, right? Like, our responsibility is to live at peace with our neighbors and to not become Babylonian. Yep. And it's hard because this is not popular, but it's never been popular, right? Like, well, it's especially hard with the Olympics coming up, right? Like there, there is no other time that I enjoy being an American more than when the medal count, when our gold medals go and <laughs> lap the field. When we have twice as many gold, gold medals as the second second highest country, it's like, yeah, America. (laughs) I'm going to get on an electric surfboard with a flag while John Denver's uh, Take Me Home Country Roads place. Well, this is what the Olympics are supposed to do, right? They're supposed to bring people together and yet promote pride in one's own nation, 
right? Like that's that's the point of the Olympics. I don't I don't get into the Summer Olympics as much, but I do love the Winter Olympics. Although I love gymnastics, and we will wipe the gymnasium floor. Uh, they're changing the rules because of us. So they're changing the rules because of Simone Biles. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, she, she's the, amazing. The amount of force that she can produce to be able to do the things that she does. Yep. I mean, they really should make her compete with the men. Like it, it is, it is unfair. She'd beat them too. <laughs> well, she wouldn't. But well, well I mean, she could. Right? Like that's the thing, right? Like, like she. She is the first female athlete in my lifetime in something other than like chess that it's like she can legitimately compete with anyone on the planet, male or female. She she's amazing. And she's one of ours, right? Like but um yeah, that's that's what the Olympic Games are supposed to do, right? Although, you know, yeah. Yeah. I don't know that we can handle um, having such an outlier well, though. Like, you know, like the 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 conversation that some of this is per, you know, um, the conversation that's coming out of some of this around like she's awesome. So you're got to change the rules for everyone else. Why would you change the rules for everyone else? Because she's awesome. And I want to be like, that's the game we've been playing. Because we always do that. It's the same yeah. reason why the mound was dropped six inches because Bob Gibson was too good. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. Um, so, yeah, I think the long and the short of it, this past weekend, there was no flag burning, uh, but I wanted to be clear that, first, we did not come together to celebrate Fourth of July, and that's hard for some people, and my heart was with the people in the congregation who might have been distracted because we didn't recognize the national holiday but it's a national holiday it's not a church holiday um and from 10 30 to i think we went to 11 45 or 11 50 this weekend we were not here as americans we were here as christians um and the two are not equal in any stretch of the imagination um well he, yeah. here's here's the truth of the matter and I think you said this, although when you said it, I remember being like, oh, I hope she comes back to this, and I'm not sure you did. Um, America began maybe in 1619, maybe in 1776, maybe in 1782, maybe in 1789, depending on how you want to think about it. History's right? funny. Um, Beginning points are, are rare. It's but here's movement. the thing. America will end. Yep. This nation isn't going to go on in perpetuity. A day will come when there will no longer be a United States of America. Mm-hmm. There is no end to the kingdom. Yep. Yeah. The history of the United States of America will be a blip on the screen as we consider the narrative of the kingdom of God. Yep. Absolutely. So it's like, I mean, just from a purely economic perspective, like I can be a part of 
a 250-year-old experiment that maybe will go another 250 years, maybe another 500 years, maybe another, like, 70 years, depending on just how aggressive the Chinese Communist Party decides to be going forward. Or I can place my identity in a kingdom that truly has no end. Yeah. And I'd opt for that personally. You and me both. But yeah, I wish I had had, and I don't, because let me just say, preaching two weeks in a row while trying to do everything else, like, again, I walk away from this time going, thank you, God, for letting me fill the role of an associate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't expound upon everything that I felt maybe the congregation could think about, you know, in one weekend. Um, and that's okay. But I think that the first step, right, is you have to recognize that the kingdom exists. It is among us. It is not fully present yet in the way that someday it will be. Uh, and that for the Christian, that kingdom, the kingdom of God is, is our first priority. Um, and that means living differently than those around us. And that's okay. I'm good with that. On this question of priorities, like, I hope that we recognize what COVID is. It is a once in a lifetime opportunity to pick your priorities. Mm-hmm. Like, most of us have. You know, you go back to 2019, we had this whole list of priorities. Some of them we picked, some of them were picked for us. And then everything stopped. Yep. And we get to pick everything going forward. If we don't pick, it'll be picked for us. But it's like, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to be like, hey, you know what? I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I can prioritize this. I want to get better at praying. Guess what? I don't have 45 minutes in the car every day because I'm working from home. What am I going to do with that time? Mm-hmm. Am I going to make that prayer time? Am I just going to surf Facebook for 45 minutes more a day? Am I going to get some more sleep? Like what? Mm-hmm. Um, you know? All of our sports leagues got canceled. You know, now that they're opening back up, are we just getting back into it without giving it a second thought, whether it's bringing us joy, whether it is helping us reach our goals as a family? Yep. Um, yeah, I have no desire to be enslaved to busyness. Now, there remains some busyness in my life, but that busyness looks a little different than it did before the pandemic. Um, I'm much more picky about who we invite over, not because of the pandemic, but because I've come to realize the value of my time. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't want to be enslaved to my calendar in the way that I was before. 
Um, you know, it occurred to me the other day. Mm. I have spent roughly one year of my life video, playing video games. Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I've been playing video games since I was like five or six. You know, probably if you take all the time and average it out, maybe an hour a day. There have been days I haven't played at all. There have been days I've played till four o'clock in the morning, right? Like, what else could I have done with that hour of my, with that year of my life? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, we have time. Yep. We had time before this happened. We especially have time now. Like, we have time to be exactly who we want to be. The question is, are we going to take advantage of it and prioritize the stuff that helps turn us into who we want to be? Or are we just going to binge Netflix shows and surf Facebook? And I mean, there's nothing wrong with entertainment until it takes over, right? Like, I I recently finished... uh, watching the entire show of Schitt's Creek with my husband. Mm. Um, And those times where we'd sit down together and watch a couple of episodes, we got to laugh together. You know, they all just, you know, there were some good conversations that came out of it. I, I regret nothing. I regret (laughs) nothing. Um, Nor should you. Yeah. But it wasn't, we used that time for entertainment that brought us closer together. My family is playing more games together right now than we did before, right? Like, well, and and maybe that's the important piece, right? Like, is this deepening your connection with individuals or is it just escaping? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, this was good conversation. Uh, We covered a few things. Before we started recording today, I'm like, Caleb, we've got to stop going down so many rabbit trails. I'm not sure we're going to be capable. We didn't go down any Well, we went went down a few. This didn't land where I thought it was going to land, and that's okay. It's okay. I'm just saying it's okay. Uh, But yeah. Yeah. No, I think... um, I like... So I was listening to a podcast today uh, called I Have ADHD, and she was talking about what it takes to be successful. Um because that looks different for different people. But really, she said it boils down, it's going to have to boil down to two things for you. It's going to boil down first to persistence, like that ability to get up and go again, even when you've failed, even when you've had trouble being consistent. Um, And number two, it's going to come down to essentialism, to knowing your purpose, to knowing what's important, and to growing, even if it's inconsistently, in those things. And I think that that's true for the Christian life um, and for growing as a, as a citizen of the kingdom. Downright Duckworthian. Sure. Yeah. All right. So, uh, mailbag. It came in, uh, I believe, on one of the Sunday mornings I was out. The question, what about suicide? Yeah. Is suicide um, a 
one-way ticket to hell sort of thing or not. Yeah. Which is a question that there is, you know, debate throughout the tradition of the church. So. Yeah. um, I'm really glad someone asked this question. Uh, So first, some disclosure. Um, I have known people who have died by suicide. Um, I have struggled with depression since my teenage years and Frequently for people who struggle that long with depression at some point or another, suicidal ideation is a thing. So I've given quite a bit of thought of this, <laughs> quite a bit of thought to this, actually. Um, so here's my opinion. And podcast listeners know that if you want more information, I can back this opinion up with um, scripture and things like that. Um, but first... I think we need to understand that if someone is in enough pain that or or in enough bound to enough fear or anxiety or pain that stopping life seems better than living they are already in hell when you are so surrounded by fear and pain and anxiety that you cannot understand or experience love. Like, I can't imagine being further from God than that. Uh, Thing number two. um, People with that much anxiety and depression are not able to perceive the world clearly or to think rationally. So... If someone has taken their life um, or has, you know, been a victim of suicide, which is another, you know, a reframing of it, right? Um, I am not confident that they are to blame because people who are rational and able to make wise decisions generally choose life, unless you're a martyr, of course, right? Like, but, um, yeah, so... Here's my thinking. Uh, When I look at the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is near to the brokenhearted, who forgives sins, who, you know, in scripture, there's an understanding that there are times, there, there are periods in a person's life, childhood is most talked about, where you're not really able to be totally responsible for what you do. Um thinking about God's mercy and love and the the price that Christ paid to reconcile us to God and to atone for our sins. I find it hard to think that there is not hope for someone who is ex- who has died by suicide. I find it cruel to say anything else. Um, I know some people think that telling telling a family of someone who died by suicide the truth about their eternal um, resting place is love, but I'm telling you that if you are not showing them love and grace and mercy, you are not showing them love, right? Um, I think that I trust God completely with those people. And I think that when someone's been suffering so much and the people who love them typically know 
typically know they're suffering, um, I think God's grace and mercy is more than enough. So I don't rush to judge where a person is going to spend eternity in the first place. I'm thankful that's not up to me. But if you were to ask me, Pastor Serena, someone I love died by suicide. What do you think's happened? I think that there is still hope that they are in the presence of God. Um, I refuse to believe that God would watch someone be in so much pain and make a decision that they can't unmake and then just say there's no forgiveness for that. Yeah. I mean, I think the the question becomes, is there, is there repentance, the possibility of repentance post-death? Well, I, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I think that's, that's, that's where it gets, because, yeah. I mean, like, while, um, I think you're right, I mean, like, there's, um, you know, the, the anguish that leads to, you know, the will being overcome by the desire to end life is not a sign of mental health. Um, you know, is, is not the way we are designed to operate. Um, but I'm, I guess I'm, I'm a little bit dubious of the idea that, that an overpowering will is... Um, I mean, like, we, we don't say this is true of anything else, right? Like, other sinful patterns where we have, you know, our will overpowers our reason, overpowers our morality, overpowers our, um, you know, whatever. Um, we still say, well, no, like, there's still, like, there's still the the necessity to recognize that um, that we need repentance. But I think the difference is is that suicide removes the ability to repent. Well, and that's I guess that's the question I'm asking, right? Like, yeah. Like, will will there be an opportunity? And you know that's that's just something we don't know, right? And that and that's that's where we, you know, ultimately all of us are completely reliant on the mercy of God. Yeah, because when I stand before Christ, like there are going to be things that become clear that I need to repent of. Yep. And do I not have the chance to repent now? I sure hope so. Like, <laughs> right? Exactly. Like, well, and it comes down to you know it's. <clears throat> Like, I know that I'm wrong about stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, in in the words of the uh, late, great Donald Rumsfeld, there are known knowns, there are known unknowns, and there are unknown unknowns. Yeah. Right? Like, 
I know there are sinful patterns in my life that currently are unknown unknowns. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, yeah, I mean, my hope is that, you know, in the light of eternity, there is um, conviction and the capacity to repent so that I can you know, uh, experience forgiveness and transformation. Yep. Cause I don't want to take my sinful patterns into eternity. Nope. Right. Like that, that would not be fun. No. And I don't think we'll be permitted. Like I don't, won't be permitted. Won't be able. It, it, it's, yeah. it's logically impossible. It, yeah. It's inconsistent. And you know, like this, um, this line of reasoning is the only reason that I will entertain the um, Roman Catholic uh, concept of purgatory. Like, I can understand why that is part of the tradition. Because how can you be before a holy God in, an, in a state of impurity? Like, that will destroy you. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I... I I think for me, again, like, I just trust that God is greater than, um, greater than the illness that leads to suicide, because it's almost always illness, right? Like, if you're talking about mental health, um, we don't, we don't, it's difficult because mental health is illness in a way that is different from other illnesses that we clear, that we recognize. Um, this might be a terrible example, but if I am unable to walk and I see someone in the road who is about to get hit by the car and I can't get to them and push them out of the way, like God's not going to hold me accountable for not being able to walk and get them out of the way, right? Like, mm because I have this restriction on my body. I think I I think the same is probably true for mental illness. If I if if my illness prevents me from not ending my life, I don't I I and again, having dealt with suicidal ideation, like this is not something you want. This is not like <laughs> Like that voice in your brain telling you that the world's better off without you, that your life is not worth anything, that, you know, like that's, if you don't know how to fight that and you don't have access to therapy or medication, I mean, this is a legitimate disorder, right? Mm. And I, I don't, I don't think that God holds disorder against us um so this is you know my my own experience and my own understanding of mental illness um as a medical issue is what informs my Hmm. opinion and 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 my understanding of the greatness and the love and mercy of god um it is a holy love and you cannot be unloving and be in present, you know, in the presence of a holy love. Um, but I think that that love is far greater than we 
sometimes recognize, or I hope it is, I hope that God's love for people who struggle with anxiety and fear and depression far outweighs um, any potential punishment for the sin of, of ending a life. All right, Caleb. <laughs> so um, this podcast has been a fun experience. Um, what of all the things we've said do you see as the one takeaway for someone today? Um, I mean, I think the uh, the big thing in the uh, in the immortal words of the Templar Knight um, in the Treasury. In Jordan, choose wisely. We can put our hope in a politician or political movement. We can put our hope in a nation state. um, Or we can put our hope in the king of the universe. Let's choose wisely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good takeaway. Um, I don't think it's vastly different from what my takeaway would be, what I want people to remember, uh, and is that there is something bigger than the things that might that vie for your immediate attention. And, yeah, choose what is essential in life. And as a Christian, what is essential is loving God and loving your neighbor. And with that, I hope everybody listening is able to stay really well caffeinated. Stay in love with Jesus. Put a second pot on. We're going to learn what's going on. Just-